you know, we found in the practice that the dedication to patient advocacy, education, and awareness spills over to our employees. I, I for one, have found like that's a huge benefit, personal benefit to me that it's just working with a team that they're happy to be there. Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I have Dr. Serena Chen from the Institute of Reproductive Medicine Science back on the show. This time, she's joined by Dr. Rui Jilani, who is an up-and-coming rock star in our field from Vios Fertility in the Chicagoland area. I have them both on the show. Before we talk about their perspective on advocacy and what that actually means for patient relations and what that means for the business of fertility, I want to give my shout out today. And this time, it's going to be to the ladies of Resolve. I normally shout out physicians, but I got to give a shout out to Rebecca and Cindy and Betsy and Barb and Sammy and everybody else at Resolve. If I, if I listed everybody, I, I might be here if, if I went into all the affiliations, but I'm giving the ladies at Resolve a shout out uh, because I can't see them for the night of hope. And if you have not become a friend of Resolve, you need to do that now. You need to get on your computer and become a friend of Resolve, virtually sponsor the night of hope, participate RSVP. That's my shout out for today. Now, advocacy with Dr. Jelani. And Dr. Chen, we go into a much broader definition of advocacy, not what I had always sort of described it as going to a legislator and advocating for something to become law, but rather patient education and how that's used to help patients throughout the course of treatment to make life easier for yourself as much as them and for your staff as much as everyone else. So this is patient advocacy and some of the work behind it done by Dr. Serena Chen and Dr. Rui Jelani. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Doctors Jen and Jelani, Serena and Rui, welcome back and welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm glad to have both of you on here. You worked on a paper together, which I thought was interesting. It was through ASRM. It was about advocacy and it was about physician burnout. Do you want to give some context for it? Ruth, what do you think? I was going to say, Serena, take the lead. This is your baby. I just helped you. <laughs> we both love advocacy. Um, and believe in it strongly. And we, you know, and Rue and I like just like working together. So we're buds that way. She's, she, she and I have done a bunch of things together. And so we're looking for excuses to work together. And I had come to ASRM um, a while ago with this concept of advocacy as a solution for physician burnout, because there was this wonderful op-ed piece in the New England Journal of Medicine a few years ago by a medical student about how burnout is a crisis. It's a problem we wrestle with. It, not, it doesn't just affect physicians, but obviously it also affects patients and healthcare in general. And so it's something we all have to wrestle with and need to try to find a solution. And 
this medical student had the insight to say, well, we could solve so many things by also by, um, by advocating more outside that patient physician interaction by doing things to advocate for better healthcare. Uh, because in, in that process, physicians could regain some autonomy, physician uh, and purpose and meaning in their jobs. And, you know, maybe we could change healthcare a little bit and, and the loss of purpose and meaning in our jobs and the loss of autonomy seems to be a big part of our underlying burnout. So I, I want, just love I want to that ask concept. about, about how, how you went down that direction further, but Dr. Jelani, how'd you get roped into all this? Uh, I like writing. Uh, <laughs> it's no secret. I love research. I thrive on it. I think this is such a young field that um, there's so much more to learn about it. And why not, you know, start becoming like the be the pioneer in this. And Serena and I met at a meeting and she was like, oh, I heard you like writing. And I was like, I do. And then she started telling me about advocacy. And I fortunately or unfortunately had to be a patient before. And being in a very conservative Republican state, I saw what not having that access to care and not having a thorough understanding of how insurances play into this and how difficult it can be for a patient when she said, I'm working on advocacy to increase awareness and you know funding and insurance and all of that. I was like, oh my God, it sucks you know, like horribly to be that patient. Yeah, I wanna help and I think, you know, for another for a physician it could serve for me doing the like not necessarily at anything fertility is my fire right so whether it be research or whether it be advocating for patients whatever it may be and combining them all into a paper is even better so when she said that I was like this is I want to help in any way I can so I'm understanding the passion for advocacy but I wonder how one even comes up with the hypothesis that advocacy is at least a partial solution to burnout because to me it seems antithetical to that it's it's okay we've got a problem with burnout here's one more damn thing yeah that's you know that's a, that's a really interesting point and obviously some some programs to address burnout are things like let's make doctors work less you know let's cut out the hours let's get them more sleep and certainly you know we have to sleep enough but it's this i think it's this idea that when we're in a broken healthcare system a lot of burnout you know when you do surveys of physicians yeah. one of the top things they complain about is electronic medical records and the the massive amounts of documentation they have to do which actually takes them away from being able to see patients takes them away from spending time with patients and, um, you know, Dr. Jelani talks about this all the time on her Instagram account about that the support that patients need, that personal connection they need with their doctors and the counseling um, and emotional uh, aspect of what we do. And if we can't do that and our patients are, you know, getting upset and we're just spending time just, just clicking and clicking and clicking in front of a computer screen, you know, that's not what we went to medical school for. And so I think that that has come up time and again in multiple studies as a top cause of physician burnout. The other thing is dealing with insurance programs, as, as Dr. Jelani mentioned, 
you know, it's not just, she has both perspectives as a patient and a physician. So obviously the patient's upset that insurance is not covering, but you know, here you're a doctor, you're supposed to help the patient, you know, the right treatment, you could help her. And then your hands are tied by this faceless, nameless third party that arbitrarily decides, well, I'm sorry, we're not, we're not going to pay for the right treatment for your patient. And then the other, the other thing is, of course, liability, physicians uh, dealing with liability. So there's, but I, I always thought it's interesting, like the EMR, which combines with taking you away from your primary purpose of being a doctor is, is always in all these surveys, one of the top things that physicians complain about when they talk about burnout. I don't think physicians get burnt from my understanding and from what I see of it. I don't think physicians burn out by practicing medicine. I think to put it very simply, I think it's all the logistics that come into play and advocacy kind of helps solve these problems that may cause burnout. So to simply put it that what you went to school for or to train for was to treat and heal, but logistically, you don't necessarily treat and heal because then you're a businessman and you're a navigator and you're all of these other things, which necessarily might not light your fire. So being, bringing in advocacy, even though it feels like, holy crap, I'm adding another thing on my plate, but you're at least fighting for a cause, which will ultimately help your unresolved, not to plan words. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it could be really small. It could be like, you know, instead of saying, well, I'm a doctor, I don't get involved insurance saying like, you know, let me understand what the insurance challenges are. Because if you're smart about insurance, maybe you can do better by your patient and maybe it's a little extra work, but if it allows you to treat the patient better, that, that satisfaction you get from that is it's enormous. It really is. Well, that was the point that I wanted to, to jump on, which is uh, insurance is a nightmare for both the patient and the provider. And, and I've seen resistance to advocacy because uh, it's like, well, just more insurance to deal with more patients coming through insurance. We get paid less money. It's more bureaucracy. And there's an instance that I, can think of, I'm not going to say the group and I'm not going to say the state, but there was a state that was passing significant legislation that was pretty close. Resolve called me and said, can, can you get this group to, to jump in and do some advocacy? Because it, th this particular district might really push them over. And they knew that I had a relationship with this group. So I called them and they were like, yeah, we don't really want to have insurance patients. We don't really, it's, it's not really, they didn't feel that it was in their interest. And so. I think we, I think that, I've seen that a that lot. Attitude? Cause I think, about, yeah. I think a lot of your colleagues have that. I think so. And I think honestly, like in um, way back when, when I first started, that's the way the field was. It was all cash field, no insurance at all. And I, I don't want to say how old I am, but that was definitely the prevailing attitude. And I can understand some of it, but it's, it's a little bit short-sighted and uh, very narrow because it means that you're only helping a very small segment of the population. And you're really not reaching a majority of people who actually need your help. 
So um, I think, and, and people, and we used to worry about like, if we, if we get coverage and, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be worse for us. I would say, you know, our practice, I sees like an enormous variety of patients and we're able to see so many people and you don't have to, you, you turn away a lot less people. So I've done it both ways. I've done the all cash system and I've done the insurance system. And I would say, make a good money either way. And I'm getting a lot more satisfaction about serving a larger population. But, you know, there's always groups of doctors. Some one avenue to burnout is some doctors do step out of the insurance system and do things like concierge medicine. I think, you know, doctors are people too. We have a huge variety of physicians and this might not be for everybody, but, you know, I think Rui and I both are very, we're very passionate about this. And, you know, Griff, I know you're a big advocate also, you know, reproductive medicine is, is an area where, you know, the continuation of the human race, hugely important, having a family, one of the most important life goals for a majority of humans. And, and the fact that a lot of people don't have access just doesn't make sense to me. And, and being able to actually make a little bit of a difference, I think, you know, makes me feel good at the end of the day, like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Okay. So your point of there's, there's efficiencies that you can do with insurance patients, either way, people are making good money. They're absolutely their, their livelihoods yeah. are, we, we can let, I'll, let's fiat that point and say that the livelihoods are unaffected. People might argue otherwise, but, but I'm, I'll, I'll grant it for here. And I'm going to continue to play devil's advocate and say, okay, Serena, I see your point And Maybe Rui, you make the counterpoint on this, but I see your point that uh, I'm only seeing a fraction of the the population because that's what that's what Dr. Jelani was saying in the beginning. There's only so many people in certain states that can receive treatment, but it it I'm already as busy as I can be anyway, so I'm only able to help a fraction of the population anyway. We're slammed with new patients, and if anybody's listening to this and for at least the next few months, they're probably slammed with yeah. new patients. And so I can only see a fraction of the patients anyway. Why would I add on however many more to that? But I mean, there's a not putting on your businessman hat. There's an opportunity for growth, right? That means if your demand is more than what you're serving, that's how you grow. So unless you're not hoping to grow in that manner, why wouldn't you? That's a good problem to have. Growth, whether it be business, medicine, whatever that reason may be why you're slammed, that's an opportunity for growth. I don't think, to be fair, I don't think we're taught business as doctors, but I really do think as doctors, you also have to be businessmen. So if you're, you're doing something right that you're slammed, but why not take that up, seize that opportunity, grow, like don't be short-sighted. If you you're slammed and that's in a non-mandated state or non-covered state. If you advocate for that, you have the potential to triple that potentially, right? Cause you're only catering to that top high earning or whatever it may be that clientele. So I think now, their now the other thing we, Griffin, we can't grow, even if we want to, because we don't have the capacity, we're already, we're already past capacity. So even if we wanted to meet more new patients, we, we could, we could now theoretically, because there's excess, excess demand, but we simply don't have the capacity. 
So one thing, Griff, is a couple things that I think you talk about is that gaining patients, bringing in new patients has a certain cost and maintaining patients has less of a cost. And certainly things like advocacy have all, actually have some other benefits other than just physician burnout, but also marketing value and also employee, sat employee satisfaction, which are also potentially big costs to the business owner. So employee retention, employee happiness leads to better productivity, less employee turnover. Every time you lose an employee and you have to hire a new one, um, that's, that's an enormous cost. And we... I, you know, we found in the practice that the dedication to patient advocacy, education, and awareness spills over to our employees. I, I for one, have found like that's a huge benefit, personal benefit to me that it just working with a team that they're happy to be there. Like even if they're only drawing blood or they're only collecting money, they're feeling they are also feeling passionate about the mission of helping people have families, I think that that has an enormous benefit. I think that is harder to measure, but I think there's, there's, some, there's some good business data about employee satisfaction and retention being you know, a good investment business-wise. And then obviously from a, from a marketing perspective, I think it validates patients. It's something to talk about for marketing, and it also, I think, helps helps with patient retention and satisfaction. It would be nice to be able to do some more studies on that, but um, certainly, I think that that's been a big benefit that we've seen. So, I think what you're referring to is that there's uh, well, there's a there is a cost for bringing in new patients. There's also challenges of new patients that can't convert, as Dr. Gilani pointed out. One of the principal reasons that patients don't convert to treatment when they need it is is financial reasons. Yeah. And therefore, having mandated coverage provides more people with those financial means, and so the, you have less of a challenge in conversion. Um, so that could that, that could be something less of. Uh, of burnout, but I think there still is a thing where I, everybody that I've talked to since we all got back online in May, whenever it was, is just slammed, slammed with new patients. They hardly want to talk. It's part of the reason why my firm has moved so far up channel to conversion and retention and, yeah. and the other things is because if I even say the word new patient, people tell me to go the hell away. And so the problems that we really have to use a strategy and content to solve are, are things that have to do with operations and, and conversion to treatment and retention. And so what, what about that? I, I, I think when people think, gosh, like insurance coverage, this is just going to bring in more people that, yeah, to, to Dr. Jelani's point, I would be, do very well from a business perspective if I could serve them but I don't have the nurses. I don't have the docs. I don't, I'm, I'm already slammed and there's just no way that I'd be able to accommodate 30% yeah. more. I don't know. I, I guess I look at it from a pure, like in some ways, a, a very selfish point of view is I want to, I want to feel good about like coming to work every day and doing this type of work. And it's not just, it's not, you know, obviously we've worked on legislation and things like that, but that can take years. Um, sometimes it's, it's, you know, really just like, paying a little more attention to what's going on with the patient and, and trying to um, take myself out of that narrow doctor role and look at them as a whole person and say, you know, we, we care about these other aspects. And uh, sometimes even just recognizing that can make a difference. 
it can also be, you know, things like just uh, volunteer work and other things. I think that doctors should think about not just hours and money and vacations. I think we, we need to realize that part of our burnout is in this loss of autonomy, purpose and meaning. And w- this is just one way that for me personally, I found really to be helpful. It's not for everybody, but you know, it, it's, um, I just, I think it's a, it's a concept that I would like, I think people that are burnt out I'd like them to consider that as, you know, one solution. But can I say something? Cause you said everyone has so many new patients. They don't want new patients, but that's exactly the point, right? Why do you think people are seeing new patients? Cause everything's telehealth access to care so much easier, right? You're sitting at home. How quick is it to hop on a zoom, see a patient, but what really should be key is conversion rate. How many of these news are actually seeking treatment are actually coming into your door. And I bet, conversion rates really similar, if not lower, because of the economy and everything going on outside, people are more cognizant of where they're spending their money, how they're spending their money. It's easy to get a new patient, but the hard part is conversion. And why is hard? Why is it harder to convert is back to this whole advocacy thing, finances and what that means for you. So I think it's a false satisfaction to look at your new patient volume. I think it's truly how many of those that walk in are actually getting treatment. Um, I, I think advocacy serves a lot of purposes, not just physician burnout. For Serena, it gives her a whole purpose of practicing medicine. But for me, it allows you to open the door to what are the limitations? Why are we not, right? Why is it so, I literally did a survey on my Instagram to like, 70,000 people. And I said, how many of you guys know what I actually do? Like who I am? And 60% said, Oh, I know what a fertility doctor does. That was like 60 something. And I was like, 40% did not know who I was, what I did. And I only did that after literally I, one of my patients ended up in the ER and I was like hounding the whole hospital. Like I can't find my patient. And finally I'm like, where's my patient? So the ER doctor And she's like, oh, she's in surgery. I'm like, what do you mean she's in surgery? Like no one called me. I sent her in. I sent her into the hospital. I have privileges that it's like, oh yeah, I looked you up and you're a hormone doctor. Like, What is a hormone doctor? Like, what does a hormone doctor even do? First of all, I've never heard of that term. And I'm like, please tell me what is a hormone doctor? But I mean, that's, we need to advocate because one people not in like big cities know what a fertility doctor is, but if you still go out in the middle of nowhere, they're like, oh, you know, like I didn't know I could seek specialized help and there's possible other options. Like, I it's, think there's so much more. And even among that 60%, it, yeah. how many of them really know what a reproductive and endocrinology infertility specialist Most and physicians do not know. Exactly. What right. That's true. It's true. This was a doctor telling me you're just right. torn. I'm like, nope, double board, OBGYN. <laughs> and fertility like it's not just you know like so i think advocacy serves a lot of purposes it's information that you're spreading to not just your main niche your new patients don't necessarily mean you're doing good like bring them in right that's a good point really let's define advocacy because dr jelani makes the point (laughs) that advocacy and education are consubstantial and so i think of advocacy as going to either going to or sending some sort of correspondence to a legislator 
or multiple legislators at different levels of local, state, That's and federal government. That's very narrow definition. Yeah. And so, okay. So I have a narrow definition. Yeah. Broaden. At Rudy and I, and this this brings up, really, you know, yeah, because we have we have the opportunity here for one of our, you know, Ruhi who has seventy thousand followers on Instagram, to talk about um, the education an awareness aspect because we we also I think both of us feel very strongly that part of advocacy is education and awareness not only of patients but also of the general public and physicians you know for example what about the millions of people who are of childbearing age who are diagnosed with cancer every year they are all supposed to have counseling about fertility preservation. And yet all the data shows less than 50% of people actually get practical, actionable information about fertility preservation. We are not meeting the standard. And I would consider that to be advocacy. Like when Ruhi does a story or an IGTV or, or I'm doing IG Live and we're talking about egg freezing for cancer patients or fertility preservation for age, these are, these are technologies that can make a difference in people's lives, and yet there's so little access to this information. Mm -hmm. And there's so little access from their provider very often. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's plenty of information out there, how much of it good is good information, and, right. and how much good. of yeah. it uh, is, is relevant to the individual person, of course, varies greatly. This is something that I have not been able to get as many people as I would like to see the utility of, of media in this way, of access, the patients having access to them in some sort of scalable way. Because again, we've moved mostly further away from marketing to new patients, but there still is all of this opportunity to move patients through the new patient journey that you just can't do in a half hour visit. Right. Because the patient is getting so much. And to the extent that you can create more content, answer more questions wildly so that you have an educated patient who has with whom you have rapport connected and, to the and practice, you can exactly that 30 minute window. So exactly. Is, is that what you're referring to Rui, when you're when you're is, yeah. is that is that part of the aim of your media strategy? Yeah, exactly that, because I think there's so many facets to advocacy and advocacy just doesn't necessarily mean what that not to say narrow because I think that has a negative term to it I think that's just the beginning of it but yeah advocating in multiple levels but yes so I try to use we, we try to build systems where where people can do that there's some doctors that are just really good at doing it themselves they do it before whether whether or not their practice is involved at the practice level or not and there was a social media panel last year at ASRM back in the good old days when we could all yeah. together in person still. And uh, there was a social media panel, both of you were on it. And Dr. Crawford made the point of the patients that come to me that are familiar with me because they've seen my content are more likely to move to treatment. Are, exactly. Are, are, they're better patients because they, they trust me. They, they've been educated. Do you, I don't have any data on that though. Do you both what, what's your experience with that? I would love to have data, but I think we both have a tremendous amount of experience that it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Patient retention is so much higher. When they come in so well-informed and so educated, when, like I literally have 
what, what's the common trend, right? You, you see a patient, you put them through treatment, they have a negative pregnancy test because not everything works. And then they go to somebody else because they, you know, that is just expected. I did that. I'll be the first one to admit I switched clinics, but with this, they, they know what I'm doing, why I did it. So one, they come to me with a negative test with, Hey, what are your thoughts on X, Y, and Z? It's more of a, more of a relationship. You know, it's not like I'm going to get up and leave you. It's let's figure out together because I know you tried your best. I mean, the amount I can tell you of messages that I get, like, I know you're doing your best. I know it's the same, no matter where I go. So I want to stay with you. I really like you. And it's this relationship, that bond you have with your patients is insane. I mean, people will come from all over because they feel that they're connected to you. Yes. And this is, this brings up two big pain points for you, Griffin, that you're always talking about um, is you know, doctors don't want to do things like advocacy and doctors don't want to do social media. And yet these are tools that can help you in your practice that can connect you to patients in ways where you're not necessarily just sweating one patient at a time in your clinic and spend, you know, and, and trying to do just one patient at a time, these kinds of activities especially like the, you know, the social media education, putting a little bit of yourself out there does create relationships without necessarily just one person at a time. The patients really appreciate when we share not only our knowledge, but, you know, a little bit of personal stuff too. So that, you know, cause to show that we are human. And I think when a patient feels comfortable with you on that level, you, they are more likely to continue, they're more likely to feel hopeful. And I think we all know that the, the, you know, in this age of tremendous technology where we can basically get everybody pregnant if they're open to treatment and they stick with it, um, the number one cause for not ending up with a baby in this field is the dropout rate. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we can address that through, you know, through education, awareness, advocacy, as well as create a better experience. You know, if the, pa if the physician is happier, it, it rubs off on the patient too. That makes a difference for, for the health, for healthcare and for patients. So I think it's a, you know, it's kind of a win, 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 the whole, the whole package. Well, we're talking about physician burnout because both of you are physicians and physicians listen to the show, but we're really talking about staff burnout as well, aren't we? Absolutely. To the, to the extent that you can really advocate to, to the extent that Rui's talking about and really educate people. I think this is the opportunity that we are just- And it's not missing. just patients that we're addressing. Like my, all, my whole staff, you know, they don't have MD degrees. They come to the IG lives, you know, they, and I put them, I take selfies of them and put them on. They, they love that. I'm sure Ruhi has the same experience. Your bios is like, you know, it's, it's, you can tell there's this vibe, you know, they're happy to be there. And that's yeah. a huge difference, not only for themselves and for Dr. Jelani, but also for all their patients. Yeah. hundred percent. And I feel like they want to educate. Not whenever my staff or the nurses see me post about something, I'll literally have them start Googling PubMed. You'll see screenshots like, Oh, is this what you're talking about? Exactly. Oh, I had a patient walk in with that. That's so interesting, but it, it pushes them to learn more and be better and excel. And who doesn't want that, right? You want to surround yourself 
with greatness. Your patients appreciate that when they walk in, they're not walking into somebody who's like, you know, doesn't want to be there. They're equally excited about positives, negatives, everything. I mean, can you imagine your billing person is not the woman who just takes money from you? She's going to be like, well, I'm so glad you talked with Dr. Chen. I understand this is really tough. And, and yes, PGT really can make a difference. I'm going to work really hard to try to make, you know, we're going to try to get this authorization. And, you know, they're not giving medical advice, but the fact that they understand the language and that they're, they consider themselves part of the team is huge. And they'll, they'll say to me, Dr. Chen, I had a long, long conversation. She's really sad. She, she about her IVF cycle, but you made a difference. And I told her to, she had some good questions. I told her I would ask you and I would get back to her because, you know, like just that whole atmosphere, it, it makes my day so much better. And, you know, if, if my patients are like, oh, my, my billing, my billing person, Kim has been so helpful and, and supportive, it makes for a much better, a much better experience. And, and that person is feeling good about her job. And, you know, so I'm that the return on investment for that is huge. Patient retention, patient conversion, employee retention, and better job satisfaction for everybody. I mean, that sounds like money in everybody's pocket, honestly. So people in the billing department aren't necessarily going to create their own digital media accounts or have the cult followings that the two of you have and some of the doctors in the field have. But this is something that centers can be doing for their teams. And Dr. Jelani made up the point of that she has patients that after they have a negative pregnancy test are more understanding, more ready for the next step, more prepared because of the content that she's created. Well, yeah, that- because she goes online and talks about what if you have a negative pregnancy test? These are, you know, she has those conversations. That lesson can be applied to every single pain point in the patient journey. Absolutely. And, and on your staff side. So what we've we've been doing for a long time, but is, is more lower cost than ever to do is so we talk to the billing team and I always try to get a video of the billing team when I can and of a subject of just tell me why it is hard to investigate somebody's insurance coverage. Just explain the process of why it's hard. And then I want to share that with the patient before they come in. We're going to do this. for we're going, to, we're going to call your insurance company if we have to. But here's some of the things that can happen. You can think you have this coverage, but it turns out that you're actually on your spouse's plan for this. Or your coworker has this, but you're not eligible. So or, many challenges. Or they waived it here, but they, they, they didn't approve it here. And if you have, if you can, if you can just show someone before they get to this problem that they're human, that there's reasons that they're going through this, that they're expect, oh yeah, insurance sucks. I get that in a two minute video or in, in different ways of creating the content, then you can avoid those negative reviews that people say, I got this $150 bill after I paid everything. Griffin, you're saying exactly what Dr. Jelani is saying. You're creating a relationship instead of this adversarial context where like, oh, I'm just taking your money. You're, you're putting the person by your side. I'm part of your team. I'm the finance coordinator for your team. The doctor does this, the nurse does this, the fine, we're all working together to get you to where you want to go to, to That's your That's exactly what advocacy is, right? You're like advocating, you're teaching, you're educating at so many different levels. So I think 
I think by saying advocacy, people just think of that just big term, but it's not. You can do it at so many levels. Way think, beyond just legislation. Yeah. Exactly. But and I think be- everyone's starting to do it, including you. I mean, this is amazing, right? Yeah. Well, and, be- and beyond the, the physician level, it could be applied to every single form. At- aspect of the prospect. So if any pharmacy is listening, and I know some of the facility pharmacy so. is listening, I have had this killer strategy for this aspect of the nursing side that I want to work with a pharmacy on. So if you're listening, well, we you gotta, definitely you gotta we call definitely me, need man, because I know, I know <laughs> yeah. how to make this into into something. This because you're that right, we're the pharmacists the can be a big part of that team because navigating the medicines is a real challenge for everyone, and we should all so be working hard. together on that. But this, you know, the reason why I, I want to try to adjust physicians is because I feel like physicians have this, have a natural talent for advocacy because of all their knowledge and experience. And you you're all the, br- you're, you, physicians are the bride at the wedding reception. We that, know what's If you're at the on. bar, everybody else is at the bar. If you're on the <laughs> dance floor, everybody else is on the dance floor. If you're outside smoking a J, that's where everybody else is. And so I do think it, it is, it, it does make sense to start with the. And and physicians tend to have this skepticism and uh, a little bit of discomfort when you talk about stepping out of your a little bit out of your role as a physician. What I want, I mean, what I what I think what Ruhi and I want physicians to realize is that all they've trained for makes them naturally outstanding advocates. You know, we're just like. You're, you have to have knowledge and experience and empathy and an understanding of the suffering and the barriers that patients face. And we know that like right here, like we really, we, we live it every day. And to be able to articulate that, uh, you're advocating for your patient. I would be a bad fertility doctor because I only want to take on the cases that I know are going to be successful. I only want people to say these sorts of things about me and my company, like Greg in Chicago. Our resources um, are not endless. And I think that with Fertility Bridge, um, there's a much deeper dive. Or Dr. Young in Iowa. I've gotten more positive feedback from patients from anything in the last 30 years of practice. Or Brad in Seattle. You have uh, multiple experts on your team and for you know a very small price to get that level of, of uh, consulting for just, just a uh, couple hours uh, would be really valuable. Okay, you get the idea. So this is how we set you up so you are 100% guaranteed to be successful in your goal over time. It's not a magic wand. Until you do this, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and definitely do not get in any long-term commitments or launch initiatives. You sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic at fertilitybridge.com. You fill out your business needs profile. We establish your benchmarks and desired outcomes. Then we meet for our 90 minute consult. We provide you with business intel, revenue estimates, and a competitive overview of the field to facilitate the prioritization of your goals between your partners and leadership team. Then we have a 30 minute follow-up. We tell you exactly what you need to audit and strategize to build your plan. I'll also give you one big marketing idea that will make you say, damn, that's good. If we fail to do any of these things, we give you your money back because it's only 597 and because I need you to be successful because I need you to say all those really sweet things about me and my company. 
maybe even a gem like this one from Holly and Dr. Hutchison from Arizona. If we didn't have Fertility Bridge, honestly, I think we would be getting close to retiring. There's no long-term commitment whatsoever, and there's a 100% money-back guarantee. Send your manager to fertilitybridge.com, have them sign up for the Golden Competitive Diagnostic, and I will see you and your partners on Zoom. Before we conclude then, help map for people how they might be able to baby step into this if they're not already or up their game. When did you all get, when did you each get involved with advocacy and how did it happen? I think being my own patient, how little lack of knowledge there is out there, um, how frustrating it is to sit on that side and know that there's really, you see a doctor and then it falls off and you talk to a nurse and then it falls off. There's really no continuity. You really have to do your own research on like, what are the next steps? What am I supposed to be doing? Who's, you know, and like when you go to like your primary care doctor, it's, oh, you're here for your annual, this is what we're going to do. And then you're done. But fertility, it's like you, it's like speed dating, right? You meet, (laughs) you go, you do treatment and you, if you don't speed date, right, if your meet points are not good, it falls. And I realized that textbook medicine, reading it doesn't necessarily make us a good practitioner and it doesn't really teach us a lot. It teaches you pathways and organic and bio, but it doesn't really teach you human body. And that's why we're still learning and thinking of new ways to do things. And I, for me, that came up with, well, if I don't understand it and I, I think I'm fairly smart, like decently smart. Right. I'm like, I can't imagine somebody who has no clue going through this. Like I was frustrated. I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I Googling this? Like I should know this, but I don't know it. So I think it started with that. Like if I'm Googling it, that means other people are Googling it and I have a science background and they probably don't. So, you know, they can't weed out the crazy stuff, but at least I can start weeding out the crazy stuff. But I didn't because I was like, well, maybe McDonald's franchise will get me pregnant. I'm going to eat them. <laughs> you know? so, um, it, it started with that, to be honest. And then it became way more than that because then it became cult, like lack of education, then culture awareness and access to care. And it just grew like it's eye opening to see how how little we really scratched the surface and how much more we have to do. What about you, Dr. Chen? So I, as I said, like started out in a cash pay system and New Jersey mandate passed in 2001. And then, you know, the, the, the cycles in New Jersey exploded and we started wrestling with all these insurance issues, but there were still so many barriers. And, you know, so I started getting really, really involved, I think, in helping a couple special patients with their insurance journey. And um, I was going through a lot of personal pain um, during this time and just helping people, just a couple patients wrestle with their insurance authorizations and writing a couple letters and actually making a really big difference for just a few people really opened my eyes to it and inspired me to do more. And then ASRM actually had a a little course on legislative advocacy. And, you know, from there, um, 
I, I just started doing more and more. I really loved it. I've had an opportunity to like testify in front of Trenton, to go down to Capitol Hill, to do, uh, to meet all kinds, you know, legislators and healthcare staffers. And we actually have seen even our government, which we think is just totally intractable, actually make some changes, some legislative changes at both the state and federal level that are directly impacting people's lives. So I've seen it from both sides where I'm just, you know, just working on one case. And now I've seen the other side where I can see policy change and I can say to a patient, hey, we just passed that law. Governor Murphy just signed it. And, you know, this is awesome because you're going to benefit from it. So it, it's, um, it started, you know, honestly, really small. And, and now, um, and I, I don't spend a gazillion hours because I make use of organizations like ASRM and Resolve. So specifically physicians in the fertility field actually have very easy ways where they can do very little, but make a huge difference. And that's stuff like advocacy day to this year was virtual. And, you know, a physician can only talk about just the things you know about the struggle your patients have makes a huge difference to legislators uh, to hear that side of it. They want to hear from patients too, but they want to hear, they want to hear the physician side as well. And we, we already have that knowledge. It's not like we're doing anything new. As you're both talking, there's a segment of listenership that I think this is especially relevant because you know who disproportionately listens to this show? Fellows. There's the, so many fellows that listen to this show. And I think this is such a yeah. way to fast track their career if they're not. Absolutely. Already. Absolutely. And it raises your profile in the market. You know, it, it, we, Ruhi and I want everybody to join the ASRM social media special interest group, even if you've never done any social media, because our new fellows, we think we, we want, we want to connect with all of you because we feel like, you know, you have so much to offer and social media is a big language for patients. They want to hear from you. you I know? mean, Rui, you went from being a brand new doc that wasn't busy because you were just brand new to being really busy, really fast. And I think that there's, I, I, I think that, I, I think that that's replicable for yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of other. Do but I don't just... want people to be intimidated. Not everybody has to have 70,000 followers like Ruhi and you can still benefit from yeah. being on there. I mean, Ruhi's like, obviously, you know, one of the top people in our field. And, but just doing that, following Ruhi on Instagram, hopefully follow me too, because the, the stuff we talk about, I think will be helpful to the yeah. new fellows coming out. We hope that they connect with us. We, yeah. we, we want to hear from them. And it doesn't, it totally doesn't matter how many people you have. It's your quality of your followers. I got an Instagram where it was really easy to grow, right? Four years ago, you could grow very rapidly. It was very new. Since then, Facebook people has should have it. read my article. Why fertility yeah. doctors need to be on Instagram in 2016? Because yeah. guess what? Go. That ship has sailed. It's yeah. not as easy anymore. No, <laughs> it's definitely not easy. Um, you can see like people are starting to plateau. Um, and it, what it, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It's just the quality. It's the quality of the relationship you build with your current patients, who then send you more patients. And I mean, if you want your practice to grow, it will grow. And I keep going back to this, but I think there's a just, I think it's just fun and a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction, right? Like this is part that I 
Griffin, you and I are Twitter buddies, right? That's how we first met was on Twitter. You reached out to me and, you know, I consider you a very dear friend now. And the same with Ruhi, you know, we met through social media first. It was a great way for us to connect. We already knew that we were kind of on the same page and passionate about the same things. And then when, you know, when we're in person, we you have, wrote the foreword for my book. Like that's, a yeah, we have such advocacy. an amazing time. The first time we ever met in person was in Washington, DC at a legislative. Exactly. So it just expands your network in, yeah. in the field exponentially. Yeah. Personally, it just has brought me so much, you know, satisfaction and happiness, like knowing you two, like you're, you know, you, you guys make me so happy. <laughs> I feel oh, like shucks. a big privilege. I know knowing like both you guys of you. make me happy. <laughs> I feel like a celebrity being on Griffin's show. I, well, you are. Everybody <laughs> on Griffin's show is, you know, he's making yeah. everybody famous. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you both here. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to having both of you back on. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you get some good comments about today's episode. Doctors Serena Chen and Rui Jelani, thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Griffin. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health. 